Good morning. Welcome to our first 11th hour of the week. Um, and before I get started, I'm going to remind you to please switch off your cell phones. Write what you know, says every high school English teacher, every intro to the personal essay prof, every guidebook on writing, every friendly advocate of generating work. And it's true, or at least sort of. But what about what we don't know? And what about figuring out how to know what it is that we do know? And where do we include research or curiosity or insight or hearsay or the imagination? Carolyn Lieberg joins us at this 11th hour to discuss this writerly truism and how we might grapple with the implications of expertise and knowledge. Carolyn Lieberg is the author of five books of fiction and nonfiction. Her essays and short stories have appeared in the Montana Review, Cream City Review, North American Review, The Examined Life, and elsewhere. She has a graduate degree in nonfiction from the University of Iowa, and she currently lives in Washington, D.C. So let's welcome her here today. Yeah. Too. Oh, good idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I do want to make sure that everyone can hear you in the back row as well. Okay. Um, and if my scarf starts slipping because of weight, you know, wave, because then the mic will be farther away from me. Oh, and if I go someplace, I have to carry this, don't I? <laughs> All right, I won't go too far. Um, well, I, I want to begin by saying. Uh, how delighted I am to be talking about this this particular topic on Monday, the first uh, the first day of a fresh week, because uh, I was thinking about um, the things that your uh, instructors are probably already asking you to do. You know, describe a beloved pair of shoes, um, maybe to write a, a first or second person uh, conversation between you and Adam and Eve or whoever else, drawing maps of your childhood neighborhood. Uh, you have these exercises, so uh, reviewing uh, this old truism that we hear all the time, it seemed like a good time to do it. Um, so, you, as you can see, uh, I have a graphic on the board, and my, my students saw me draw last night, so uh, <laughs> that's why it's not a bunch of nice circles as it ought to be. Um, so before I get into the graphic, I did want to comment um, about how writers will decry the saying, write what you know, because all the science fiction people, um, writers of historical fiction, Catherine Longshore, who writes uh, the Tudor period, uh, said, well, I know how to sew a dress, drive a manual transmission, and make a mean cappuccino. I have experience teaching preschool, traveling the world, and acting on stage. But I will never know how it felt to be a woman in the 16th century. Um, so a many, as you know, many writers uh, venture into areas that they have never been uh, personally. Um, so this graphic uh, starts with... Um, it, it, it's a history graphic, actually. That's where I, a friend of mine, Dave McManus, who's in town, maybe some of you know him, uh, gave it to me uh, some time ago when I worked at the University of Iowa. Um, so circle one, which is supposed to be very big, um, represents all actions and thought at all times. So this is a way to think about history and 
how it becomes uh, part of the record. Um, the circle two is what was observed by somebody at some point in history. Circle three would be what was observed and remembered. Then circle four would include the people who uh, observed, remembered, and recorded it. So there we have diarists, journalists, letter writers, reporters, um, and the subgroup, of course, would be people who had heard, uh, had heard the news from somebody else. Then five um, are the records that survive. So those are the records in attics, historical societies, elsewhere, um, occasional compositions that appear uh, in, in attics, and the raw material um, of the discipline of history. And six for historians are the, um, the records that are available and valid. So that's what people use to make history. And then you get this little tiny circle at the bottom which uh, is the written record um, from times past. Um, regarding uh, the sources of history, I'm just going to mention briefly Jennifer Armstrong, another writer of historical fiction, um, has a wonderful list of primary sources. Uh, diaries, letters, newspapers, commercial advertisements, political speeches, sermons, songs, children's stories, Recipes, wills, household inventories, travelogues, maps, manuals of advice, architectural drawings, cargo manifests, menus, and so on, and on and on. Dress patterns, even, and help wanted ads. Um, so then let's apply this to writers, to us. Uh, how, how are we in uh, these seven circles? So the first one every, is easy, everything that ever happened to us, all of our thoughts and actions, everything that happened around us. The second one is what we observed or absorbed. So that means that things that happened behind our back, <laughs> we didn't see. Those snarky expressions in school, or we called a friend and they weren't so happy to hear from us, whatever they may have looked like, um, we don't know. Those things have escaped our consciousness. The third circle is what we remember, observed and remembered. So that one is huge. Those are the memories. And they're closer or not to um, everyday uh, activity. Um, and also, you know, we live in the memories of others. So the people that we know um, and have done things with were part of their memory bank. And uh, they can be useful sometimes to interview and we're there whether or not we want to be. This week in Iowa City, you're making new memories with um, a new team, and um, you'll be part of uh, what people take home. Um, and I was thinking about some of the details, you know, seeing a mouse in an apartment, uh, getting stung by a bee, all these little uh, things that happen to us. A lot of them have, uh, cha have zipped away, but uh, they are there to be uh, brought up, um, as well as beliefs, and um, you know, if you if you are wondering about uh, the things that you um, think about or that support the way you live, all you have to do is go into Wikipedia and, uh, for instance, look up virtues. There'll be a long list, and uh, you could focus on any one and write, I'm sure, at great length. 
So our number four is what we wrote down in some fashion. Um, our journals, our letters to others, um, stories, essays, um, and of course now we have email and all of the uh, electronic things that are going on. Um, our five would be what survives. Does anyone still have their notes passed at school, if people still do such things, I'm sure? Um, our letters from camp, I was thinking about things that were pre-electronic. I dug out my old autograph book, uh, and I don't even know if, I mean, I can't imagine those are sold anymore. And the only page that, that sticks in my memory is Leroy Flowerdew signing my book, because he had such an unusual name. I don't know what happened to Leroy. <laughs> Maybe someone knows him. No. Uh, he was a fifth grade classmate. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now he can be a character for all of you. If you... <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't know. Some, you know, it depends on how much you've moved and uh, how much your, uh, your parents wanted to hold on to your things or not, um, whether you have some of those old treasures. Um, and, and so I was thinking about uh, the electronic sources, and I think that we can say that there's kind of both a blessing and a curse, because if you had an email with somebody, I mean, if I do, I, I'm, why should I project this on you? But I don't throw out my emails. So if I wrote to somebody 10 years ago, and I happened to remember that the word carnation was in the message, you know, I could put it in, and that message would pop up. Um, for better or for worse, there is so much that's immediately available. Uh, I guess we should say for better, but um, it's sort of creepy that it's all out there as well, so immediately available. Um, and I, if you have not read Joan Didion's essay called On Keeping a Notebook, uh, it's online and it would be a good one to, um, it's always a good one to reread because she talks about the things that she records in the notebook and at one point she says that she uses the notes that she made from long ago to um, stay in, I think she calls it a nodding uh, acquaintance with her former selves. She said even, even the people who, whom we were and when we were not so attractive, uh, there were maybe some aspects that we would like to shrink um, but, you know, we were there, and uh, they also can be useful. Um, so I would certainly recommend that. So um, we, we don't have the issue of validity to worry about because we're writers, so everything is valid. Uh, I would say we don't, you know, that's something that historians have to worry about, but we don't. Um, our minds sift and moderate memories. I think we've probably all had the situation of being with old friends or relatives and uh, bringing up uh, an event from long ago. You know, how did Aunt Helen feel when, when Uncle Bob brought in the dead raccoon? You know, there could be different reactions to that. Um, I wrote a book called Little Sisters, and um, I have an older brother, and I interviewed a lot of women who were last born in their family. <laughs> And my mother was initially disappointed <laughs> um, because she thought I should have uh, said more um, positive things about my brother. And um, 
we have a nice relationship now. <laughs> but, you know, it was, uh, anyway. Um, <clears throat> so she, I think her, the first time that I spoke to her, she said, you didn't say anything nice about your brother until page 212. <laughs> and that was a ways in. But it was not true because he'd actually saved my life when I was like three. My scarf got caught in a spinning fan on my aunt's farm. And, you know, I was going to get choked. And he turned the button off. So I did have that early in the book. But I guess there was such a gap of other things <laughs> that she forgot that I mentioned that. Um, but then she was talking to a different aunt, and um, who was also a little sister, I might note. And um, that aunt said, well, that's how it was for Carolyn. And I thought, yeah, go Aunt Ruth, you know, <laughs> because families, family dynamics change. Uh, of course, as each child comes along, which is that's something else that you have in your number three circle that's very, very big. Um, so there's another thing that I want to uh, write in uh, circle three. And I think, I think it's pretty big. That's the, that's the whole of things that we... Um, perhaps haven't written about. That, that's, the, that's the tough pond of memories. Um, I'll say, you know, on, on my own behalf, it may be uh, filled with um, memories I have of lies that I've told, uh, maybe times that I've, uh, you know, betrayed people in some way. Um, I was thinking thie- uh, thefts go in there, um, secret hopes that uh, were never uh, realized, uh, things that are messy and embarrassing. Um, I have a long list of those. I don't know. Uh, and um, also things you saw you weren't supposed to see, things you heard that you weren't supposed to hear. Um, in some ways, they, they can all become part of the, uh, the shadow uh, of your writing. But... Um, Many writing teachers will say, you know, that's the, that's the pond to draw from because those are the hard events that happened in your life and, um, and they're the ones that we often will stew about even if we, even if we use different kinds of stories to talk about them. But they're there and I think they're there for all of us. If they're not, then you have another book contract <laughs> coming up with somebody. <clears throat> Uh, another subset I, I would um, say are, are near misses. Um, a friend of mine camped in the Big Thompson Canyon in Colorado a few days before that devastating flood uh, of 1976. A wall of water 20 feet high came down, 143 people died. Um, you know, I'm sure you know people who were in uh, New York uh, before the World Trade Center. There's something about a near miss that gives you an emotional experience that is uh, a different one than um, the day that something happens. We all we all share a lot of those, but you know, it's something else to try to. Um, work on a little bit and write and, and figure out what that is because it's another piece of emotion that you can bring to your writing. Um, <clears throat> so, given that heavy moment, <laughs> I'm going to turn to a moment that that is about this the very ordinary thing of, of writing what you know because I think that many of us grow up and think that our childhoods are pretty boring and you know what do I know that anybody would want to hear about 
Um, <clears throat> so in, in thinking about this topic, um, I remembered my junior high. Uh, I w- was in junior high in Pocatello, Idaho, which maybe none of you have heard of. <laughs> um, anyway, we had a ranch house. There were other ranch houses on the block. Um, and outside of my window was the neighbor's house. It was their garage wall. There was a redwood fence. A lot of, most of us had redwood fences between the houses. Um, and I think it was, I, I actually used Google Earth, and I would suggest that that's another source to help you go back to your old neighborhoods. It was no more than, um, than 12 feet, so the fence was about 6 feet between. So when I opened my, oh, and then here's the, here's the kicker. This was not an ordinary time. Um, Joe Platt uh, was a child next door, a little older than I was, and he was a falconer. Um, not a writer falconer, <laughs> a bird falconer. And so when I opened my window, he had an eagle, uh, and its perch was right on the other side of his fence. I kind of remember it on the fence, and I think, no, no, it had to be on its own perch. Um, so, you know, six feet away, here was this uh, stark uh, um, <laughs> sight of this, uh, you know, fearsome bird looking at me. And we would, I mean, I would look at him for a while sometimes, and he or she would look back at me. Um, and, uh, what you know, he couldn't do anything. I guess it was a he because of his coloring. Um, but what I remember thinking about was his, the little... Um, uh, wristlet, or I'm sure there's a very official word for this, but he, you know, he was tethered <clears throat> and had something around his little foot, so that he he knew already that if he tried to fly up, he would fall down. I don't know. I suppose it was eight, an eight foot length. Um, so I used to think about that and how much he wanted to fly away, and and then I was in junior high, and what junior high person doesn't want to fly away? So there was a. Uh, we had a camaraderie that was completely unspoken, but um, I had never written about that. And as I was, and I, and then, so I thought, I'm doing this. Why haven't I written about it? Uh, maybe I will. <laughs> At least I'm talking about it. Um, then I, of course, went online and looked up Joe Platt um, and found a, a faded photograph from 1977 with, um, do I have the name here? Uh, he was in Saudi Arabia with King Khalid, uh, standing there with all of these little uh, different kinds of falcons on perches. Um, so he, you know, he got to do what he was doing. But uh, the other memory, of course, is that he would occasionally feed them rabbits, and that was unpleasant. We weren't pals. <laughs> anyway, all these little, you know, and that, it's going to happen a lot this week that, that you will be, um, uh, you know, they'll have suggestions made for activities that will take you deep into places you haven't been for a while and looking for details uh, that, that make the ordinary extraordinary. Um, and it's great fun. Um, let's see. I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, someone's version of where knowledge comes from. Um, Gwendolyn Gong and Sam Draga uh, are two of the people who have talked about this, and they they uh, talk about two ways that we uh, learn what we know. And one of them is participation. Uh, <clears throat> sitting here, walking around town, you're getting to know Iowa City by being here. Um, 
or doing anything that you've done, jumping out of airplanes. Anybody done wingsuits? <laughs> One of my fantasies. I haven't even done a parachute. I don't know why I think about wingsuits. But um, anyway, that's a high participation. But then the other one is observation. Uh, and this is different than the way we were using it with the, the circles. Their version of observation is uh, wonderfully wide. So it's not just watching a gardener uh, garden or watching somebody play a guitar, but it's watching um, videos, it's watching movies, it's reading books about. It's any kind of learning you do where you're not there. So when we think about how wide observation is, I mean, everywhere in the world that we know about where we have not been, all times in history, all come uh, to us from um, the observation mode. Um, I think that's tidy, um, but uh, it does omit something that, of course, <laughs> that Carol mentioned that all of us writers use, which is our imagination. Um, Perhaps some of you saw The Diving Bell and Butterfly. I just saw that recently with Jean-Dominique Bobby, uh, who had a severe stroke and um, developed the, because of the stroke, had the locked-in syndrome where his mind worked, but his only mode of communication was uh, one eyelid. Um, and yet he was able to write that book. But at one, <clears throat> one point in the, in the book and the movie, he said, he said, I realized that all I have is my memory and my imagination. Um, and so I thought that was <clears throat> kind of the epitome of uh, a way to use both of those things. Um, but in thinking about imagination, uh, I was reminded of the term that I used a lot when I was little, and I'm, I'm sure that you did too, uh, let's pretend. Remember, let's pretend we're going to the moon, let's pretend we're climbing a mountain, let's pretend we're in a forest. Uh, I did it all the time. It was sort of like the way of life. And, um, and then you move into adulthood, and pretend gives way to pretense and pretentious. Um, adults, it, it, it would, it's, you know, it's juvenile to talk about pretending. Um, instead, we've given it all kinds of labels, um, so that uh, you know, people who act pretend, and when they do it well, we're astonished and give them big prizes and pay them lots of money. Uh, so we want it to happen. But um, I was thinking about the way that all of us pretend as adults, starting by you know pretending to be an adult, <laughs> whenever that happens for everyone. Um, and you know, when I uh, people who are teachers, lawyers, doctors, I mean, that first day, or a parent, or a married person, you know, something happens, and suddenly the world sees you as something else. You have adopted a label. Um, are you that person the first day? You may not feel like it, but people will say, "Oh, you know, that's uh, that person is now a spouse or uh, a teacher or a lawyer." Um, but it takes a while. So <clears throat> um, anyway, as writers, pretending is the key, I think, to exercising our imagination. And we have to be uh, very fearless about that. Um, 
I met with a writer this morning who's published four books, and she she said she still feels fraudulent, and I said, oh, so do I. <laughs> um, it's, it happens to women more than men, but um, writers often tend to feel uh, fraudulent, even with the writer label, so I would urge you, you know, as gardeners uh, dig up the earth and plant things, they'll say they're a gardener, and as you're messing around with words and forming them on the page, um, it, that's what makes you a writer. Uh, composers uh, rearrange notes and fiddle with tunes, um, and all phases are important. <clears throat> um, let's see. I wanted to say that we, one of the things that we know really well is how to find out things. But I'm going to not go on with that because I know Nancy Berry is going to talk about research tomorrow. <laughs> and she will have lots of tips about how we find out things. Uh, but it is a great skill that, uh, you know, writing what you know, we can, we can find out what we need to know. Um, so something else I wanted to say about what I think that writers like uh, is making the hard choices. We, we like the problems. We like the puzzles. I mean, we... we um, engage in an activity that is full of challenge. We're creating worlds. We're deciding who's there, uh, what, what they get to do, when they get to do it, uh, what the consequences will be. And um, that's, that's enormously challenging um, and fun. I mean, it's fun to solve problems. So even though we know how to do a lot of things well, you know, cooking, driving, your profession, whatever it is, it's not enough. And uh, writing gives us this uh, extra... Um, very fun thing to do, which is problem solving on a huge scale. Uh, and I think, you know, those of you who have been here before and have come back a few times, you know well, um, because of the range of classes, how many details there are to, uh, to solving these problems. So, um, I want to say that... Um, that I think, uh, well, what do I think? <laughs> that at the heart of the heart of writing is the sense of adventure. Um, that's what I actually want to close with: is talking about the adventure that um, that is something is what we're all doing. Uh, we discover new places. We uh, go into the wilderness of memory and experience and imagination deep into the third circle and, and well beyond it. Um, writing becomes a bridge um, that we can use to bring back the information, the discoveries, um, and interpret um, what we have found in order to share it with other people. Um, we somehow put our fears aside and you know, plug our noses and jump off the, off the perch. <laughs> um, so for me, I have this, I don't know where this comes from, but I think of things that I've already done that I know about as uh, south, um, and uh, wherever I'm going is north. Um, Let me add something here. <clears throat> Maybe that's because I live in the northern hemisphere, so um, it'd be interesting to know. So... <laughs> Then we have east and west, and I feel like those that's where the imagination is. <clears throat> um, so actually, I have a little uh, 
favor um, not to ask of you to give you the, uh, little compasses here for each of you uh, to take off so that they may inspire you in your own writing, your own hunts, your own discoveries. Um, immediately they may help you find Schaefer. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> maybe in future years they'll help you find your way back to Iowa City. So they're on a chair here. I think we're going to move the chair up to that side. But please take one on your way out. And uh, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to the week with you.